Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Good morning, everybody. You'll have a great Thanksgiving. Amen. You know, I'm just so thankful, and of course, I've been asking this this whole month. What are you all thankful for today? Life? Just to be here. Just to be here. Amen. All right. Anybody else? Any hope? The what? Grandkids. That's important. Help? Okay. I'm grateful. Thank you, Ben, for that little jazzy, bluesy, go tell it on mountain this morning. Very much appreciate that. And as well, thank you for all of our volunteers today. I know our music team had to uh, improvise, but also, you know, there's so much that I often don't realize takes place. You know, we have all of our volunteers, such as our Sabbath school teachers, our kids' Sabbath school teachers, above all people. Thank you so much for all that you do. We really greatly appreciate you. But we also have our greeters. We have the people who, individuals who kind of spruced up the sanctuary last week. Thank you for our volunteers who set the, the Christmas um, decorations up. They're not done yet. There's a few more little things they're going to do. Next week is going to look a little different. But um, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do. When it comes to Thanksgiving, I have a question, a poll perhaps. Let's get to know each other. Amen? We asked this last year. Let's see if it's changed. How many of you are pre-Christmas, pre-Thanksgiving? Do you listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Okay, I see one hand. <laughs> How many of you believe you should only listen to Christmas music after Thanksgiving? All right, we have a few more. <laughs> all right. How many of you are just were waiting to put up everything up, all the decorations, you just couldn't wait? Okay, there was a couple. All right. Personally, I, I just, I, I can't, I, I can't listen to music, Christmas music, especially it gets me in July when they try to do the half a year Christmas thing, especially on the Hallmark Channel that I'm sometimes subjected to, so I'm kidding. I just, I get sucked into those dramas and I just, I don't know why it's so cringeworthy, but yet I'm still drawn in. I can't escape it. Well, let's go ahead now. Let's go to our sermon today. Did I not say? Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for another day of life. We thank you for this past Thanksgiving that we were able to experience. I pray that you will be with us now as we take a look at the woman known as the Shunammite woman. In Jesus' name, amen. David Brooks, a noted New York Times columnist, pointed out, um, I don't know how far back, but he, he once pointed out, we live in a culture awash about happiness. In one three-month period last year, more than 1,000 books were released on Amazon on that particular subject. But notice this phenomenon. When people remember the past, they don't only talk about happiness. It is often the ordeals that seem significant. People shoot for happiness, but feel formed through suffering. When you look back, do you remember the good times more or the challenging times that helped make you who you were? 
Mm. Today I'd like to go to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. And we're going to look at a story of a woman. We don't even know her actual name. She's only known as the Shunammite woman. She's an interesting lady with a story to tell that I think some of us can certainly relate. So 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through, well, we're not going to read all of the verses all at once. We're going to break them up. But there's a couple of things that we can take from her life that we can also apply to ours. And we're going to talk about uh, a prophet, the name of Elisha, not Elijah, his, uh, his successor, Elisha. All right, we all there? Okay, amen. So one day, Elisha went to Shunem. And uh, what kind of woman? A well-to-do or a wealthy woman. This, this lady was an entrepreneur. She was a businesswoman who was there. And she urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he dropped there to eat. And she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So just looking at that, okay, uh, it looks like Elisha was a regular traveler there. And she recognized that just out of her own generosity of her heart, she wanted to do something for Elisha. She recognized the work that Elisha was doing. And so she thought, hey, how can we help this individual out? She had the means. She is, as it, as it says, she was well-to-do. And she talked to her husband, maybe informed her husband, and said, this is what I would like to do. So what, are, what can we take from this? Number one, she's generous. And she is kind. Can you imagine being Elisha? He probably didn't have a home that he could just easily go to, nor did he have a car that he could drive in. He was on the path, either walking or perhaps riding some form of animal that if he was blessed with even that. And so, you know, Elisha also had to depend on the Lord. And when something firm like this comes by, where a firm offer of being able to eat in a, a, a good home, have a great solid meal to be able to sleep, not having to worry about dust or rain or storms or animals. It's good to go, right? And so Elisha, he's feeling great. He's feeling this immense amount of gratitude. And he asks, what can we do for her? So verse 11, one day when Elisha came, he went up to his room. He laid down there. He was taking his rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her, and she stood before him. And Elisha said to him, tell her, and to translate, tell her, you've gone to all of this trouble for us now. What can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my own people. And Elisha asked Gehazi to translate, hey, what can be done for her? Gehazi looks and he says, well, she has no son and her husband is what? He's old. Okay. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. And about this time next year, Elisha says, you will hold a son in your arms. And what was her response? No, my Lord, please, man of God, don't mislead your servants. Don't mislead 
your servant. When I, when I read that, I feel a sense of pain. Now, she's a woman. She has no kids. She's probably older. And at this time, we've studied this before, a woman who has no child at that time, was she well-received with the community, or maybe did they speak behind her back? Hush, hush. She had no child. In a way, even though she was perhaps wealthy, she didn't have a child. In particular, a boy. Now, let's remember, let's not put our standards of today back there. Okay? It was a different time. And, you know, thinking like, who's going to care for, perhaps as she's older, had no son, and, you know, IVF was not, a, there was no solutions like we have today. Can you think of any other women who faced the same predicament in the Bible? Sarah, Hannah, Elizabeth, okay. So, I, to me, when I, when I read that, I feel there's this sense of pain in her voice. Don't mislead. Don't lie to me. Don't tell me something that you're not going to follow through on. Well, as we continue the story, but the woman, she became pregnant. And the next year, that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. And the child grew, and one day he went to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. <clears throat> his father told the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. If you're the Shunammite woman, what are you thinking? Sorrow, grief. Sure. But what did she do? She went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. And she called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. And her husband's like, why are you going today? It's not the new moon and it's not even Sabbath. And she says, that's all right. She doesn't tell him why. She's going. It's interesting that, you know, she doesn't tell her husband that something is wrong. Maybe she would assume that he suspected, but she simply knows what she wants to do. So she goes about. Maybe she doesn't even want to acknowledge the fact that her son is dead because she didn't want to face that truth. Why would God give her a child only to take it back in her eyes? Maybe if she went to the prophet who had spoken it, predicted it, and announced it, maybe he would also be able to do something. And as you think about this woman's life, how often, too, maybe some of us here, how, much, how often do we suffer in silence, not telling others how we truly feel or in how we deal with our grief and our pain? She was a doer. She got on her donkey, and she went. Verse 24, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me until, unless I tell you. So she went out and she came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when he saw her in the distance, the man of God, Elisha, said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's a Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? 
to which she responded, everything is all right. But when she met the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. You think, imagine that. The Shunammite woman grabs Elisha's feet. And Gehazi, what did he try to do? He tries to come over and he tries to push her away. But Elisha realizes, no, there's something wrong here. Leave her alone. She is in bitter what? Distress. There's pain in her heart. <clears throat> but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. And here she says, did I, not, did I ask you for a son? Did I ask you for this problem? Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. Mm. There is deep pain and anguish in that voice. One of the things that we can take away is this woman is a wounded helper, a woman who has helped despite her own suffering, despite her own challenges, despite maybe her own, um, her own insecurities. She still helped the Lord in spite of the challenges that she had experienced. But here today, she's feeling this deep heartache. She's physically, mentally, emotionally, and perhaps spiritually challenged. As you look back through scripture, who else in a way suffered physical ailments despite the fact that they were faithful? Job, I think of Paul, Jesus, obviously. Can you think of anybody else? So in spite of her sorrow and, and her sadness, she still kept going, serving faithfully. Paul Borthwick, um, he's a teacher and an author, was on a visit to, uh, in China. He's a, he was a teacher, but also he helped uh, people do uh, set up missions. And he was in Beijing, China. He attended a church where there were four young men who were newer believers, thanks to his friend's ministry. And the services were in Mandarin, and, and Paul doesn't speak Mandarin at all, doesn't even understand it. But... You know, he, he, he did think of the pastor when he saw, he seemed kind of boring as he spoke, even though he didn't understand what he was saying. He was soft-spoken, he stooped over, and he preached without any uh, expressions of excitement or emotion. It seemed monotone. And after lunch, Paul met with the four young men, these four new baby Christians. And he asked, is your pastor a good preacher? And exclaimed, oh, yes, he's a great preacher. He spent many years in prison for Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was measuring the sermon by the delivery. But yet the pastor's ministry didn't have to have anything to do with how he could preach a sermon. It had to do with how he lived. His experience, his faithfulness had a bigger impact on these four young men than it was to deliver a sermon. Relationship. Now this woman here who is, is suffering, let's, let's continue on. Gehaz Elisha said to Gehazi, take your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, 
Run. Don't greet anybody along the way. Just don't answer. Lay my staff on the boy's head. So essentially, Elisha is telling Gehazi to immediately don't stop. Just run and place this staff on the boy's head. And the child's mother, the Shunammite woman, says, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. So Elisha goes. Gehazi goes ahead. He places a staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound and no response. When Elisha finally gets there, he says the boy has not awakened. Another lesson that maybe I should have pointed out here, but sometimes God doesn't answer or respond to our requests right away, maybe in the time that we would prefer. Amen? But God still is faithful. So when Elisha reached to the house, there the boy was lying dead on his couch. He went in and he shut the door and the two of them prayed, for the Lord, prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the boy and lay on the boy mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And as he stretched out, the body's, boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room, then got on to the bed and stretched out on him once more. And the, bo the boy sneezed. How many times? Seven. Seven. And opened his eyes. Seven which signifies perfection as well. Amen. And Elisha summoned Gehazi, call the Shunammite. And he did. And when she came and he said, take your son, she came and she fell at his feet and bowed to the ground out of gratefulness. Then she took her son and went out. Hmm. Based on that last verse as she left, how do you think she was feeling? Grateful, right? Some could say, well, yeah, she was maybe being nice, being pleasant, because obviously she's grateful. Maybe, did you, do you think maybe she harbored any anger still? How could you put me through this ordeal? It doesn't say there, but if you continue to read, let's jump over to chapter 8. We're going to learn that this woman is ready to serve and praise God. Chapter 8, verse 1. And I'm just going to, because we don't have a lot of time, I'm just going to briefly point out after he had healed, it doesn't say here, but in verse uh, chapter 8, verse 1, now Elisha said to the woman whose son had restored, go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last how long? Seven years. And so God is giving this woman a heads up, hey, you're going to want to go somewhere else for a while where it's a little more plentiful. And so... She has to leave and abandon her home that she had probably spent so many years to build up because she's a well-to-do person, right? So she leaves, she goes back. She stayed in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Can you imagine just, sorry, getting up and leaving for seven years? You don't know what you're going to come back to. But so verse three, she comes back. She appeals to the king for her house and her land. Perhaps somebody decided, oh, there's an open house and land. I'm going to just cruise right in, take up shop. But no, guess what? She goes to the king. She speaks to the king. And guess who's also there? Gehazi. Verse 4, the servant of the man of God. And it said, tell me all about the great things that Elisha has done. And just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elisha brought back to life, came to appeal to the king for her house and land. Perfect timing, amen? And Gehazi said, This is the woman, my lord, the king. 
And this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. The king asked the woman about it and she told him, then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, give back everything that belonged to her, including all of the what? Income from her land from the day she left the country until now. Now she suffered a great ordeal, but in a sense, if she had not also been faithful, what would have happened when she would have had to flee? I'm not saying God does not desire to punish us. Let's just be clear about that, right? But God answered her prayers and was faithful. Listened. And despite all of the challenges that she had experienced, she was still faithful. Even though she was wounded before her son, she desired to have a child. God blessed her. And even after all of that, she was still willing and ready to speak a good word about the Lord. Amen? So, where in your life or my life am I most grateful? And where can I be more generous? Much like the Shunammite woman. And our challenge for this week, find one person who could use an extra hand and help them. Amen? Let's even be more challenging. How can we help somebody at least once per day? It doesn't have to be something major. Maybe help, help your brother or your little sister with homework. <laughs> help your neighbor move some um, pallets, whatever it may be. Send a note to somebody. Call somebody and just say, hey, how you doing? Being a listening ear can be a great help. Amen? I know you're all smart people, so go forth. Be kind. Be helping. And may you have the same faith that the Shunammite woman also, despite all the enormous challenges that she faced, who still prevailed because she trusted the Lord. May God bless you, lead and guide you. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for you are good and your mercy endures forever. Forgive us, Lord, of our shortcomings, but we are also, Lord, so grateful for all that you're doing in our lives. You know what's on our hearts and our minds, Lord. May you be with them. And Lord, help us to learn from these lessons that even in our own woundedness, Lord, we can still help. Lord, help us, heal us from the physical, the mental, emotional, and sometimes spiritually challenging moments in our lives. Please provide for us and that help us to be the faithful ambassadors you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>